Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I think we're at a moment in time where progress should not be measured entirely by wins and losses. And I really do believe we're making progress in a lot of ways that is not showing up. It's not going to show up publicly, but we will help lead us, we will help lead us to success. I'm going to say bullshit, guys, to start this episode of Rum Bunch Radio. Trey Hannity, Marty Lee, and Nick Caparoso with you. It is a a dark time yet again for the Pirates. It's really been a a dark time for a while now. Pirates are on the brink of potential another 100-season loss. Uh, You know, I've really been going through it, especially over this last month, really these last few weeks. Um, It's been tough, guys. And the statement I read to start out the episode tonight uh, was from Ben Sherrington his thoughts on Derek Shelton as the manager. And you know what? My statement there to begin, it might've been a little bit dramatic. We're on a podcast, we're on a beef up to start. Maybe it's not BS. Maybe Derek Shelton should stick it out longer. Uh, maybe he's the right guy for the job. But as we get it started tonight, guys, um, what were your thoughts on Ben Chanton's comments on Derek Shelton? Uh, and, and do you think that he will help lead this team to success? I will be the first to say that I have quickly, over the last two weeks or so, started to lose that faith in Ben Charrington and the direction this team's going in. Um, you know, it just, it's one of those situations where it's, it's reminding me of the old regime. We're manipulating service time, players at bats, um, you know, sending them up and down. Uh, never good for a young a young player typically like it's just everything they said they weren't going to do this whole player centric idea like it just seems like it's there in the minors and then not at the majors and you know like you said it's kind of a dark time right now like it's this team I thought and Marty would probably agree with me we thought would get better as the year went on and it has not been the case. They still have too many uh, meaningless veterans around on the roster. Um, Charrington was not aggressive enough at the deadline. Um, and if that was the case, if there really was no deals to be made, um, you know, he, he didn't cut bait the way he uh, acted like he was going to. Yeah. You know, before the season, this is something we all kept saying on here was when it gets to August 1st, this roster is going to look a lot better and you're going to start to see signs at the end of the tunnel. And just like we're sitting here on August 22nd, I'm still waiting on it. That's what's so frustrating to me is, you know, like you said, Nick, it looks like this team's going to lose hundred games for a second year in a row, which I did not expect to happen. Um, I mean, no, I expect them to be good this year, but it's year three. And, and I think one thing too, that people overlook with this rebuild is it was a lot different than what Neil Huntington inherited. It was different than the Houston Astros, whoever you want to use as an example, because when Ben Charrington came here, he did not have to tear this all down. They were one year removed from a winning record. 
you know, in the, in the, in the six years before Ben Charrington got here, they'd gone to the postseason three times had four winning records. He inherited a major league roster that included Joe Musgrove, Josh Bell, Jamison Tyon, Brian Reynolds, among others. He had key Brian Hayes in the upper minors. Like the, the, you didn't have to blow it all up. That's the route he went. That's fine. The problem is it, it, there's not there's not been a lot of good return on that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you look at some of his biggest trades, the the Starling Marte trade might prove to just be a complete disaster for this franchise. Um, Brendan Malone, at this point, if you hate to say it, but if that kid ever pitches again, just pitches, not even pitching the majors, pitches again with his injury issues, you'll be surprised. Navarro Paguero has struggled defensively all year at shortstop, and the bat has just taken a big turn for the South. You know, you look at the Musgrove trade. <clears throat> yeah, Bednar's pitched really well, but he's a reliever. He's a reliever. You can find those guys. And, you know, it's very possible Derek Shelton has turned David Bednar's right arm into a wet noodle this season, too. Like, it's, it's, they haven't worked out. And it's just so frustrating. I'd rather watch this team lose every day with Travis Swaggerty in the outfield, with Jack Swinski as my designated hitter, with Diego Castillo as a utility man, as G1 Bay on the roster, with Cody Bolton and Cam Aldred pitching innings. Not what we're getting now, and that's where it's so frustrating to me. And I know I've seen this a lot on Twitter, people comparing, well, in year three of Huntington, they lost 105 games. I understand that, but it's twofold. One, saying, well, the previous GM lost 105 games in year three, so it should be okay now is asinine. And two, yes, they lost 105 games, but at the end of that season, you had Andrew McCutcheon emerging as a superstar. You had Pedro Alvarez breaking out. Neil Walker had emerged as an everyday player. Jose Tabata had emerged as an everyday player. You were starting to get this. The, the difference between this team and that 2010 team is the 2010 team lost a lot of games while playing the kids, and that paid off in the long run. This team is not doing that, at least not enough. Yeah, I mean, not enough. And, you know, barely at all, it feels like at this point. Um, and I apologize there, Marty. I thought my mic was selected as this cool fancy pants mic I have here, and uh, it wasn't. I apologize for my burp there. I didn't mean to interrupt you right in the in the middle of it but you're right i honestly didn't even notice it's all good (laughs) (laughs) that's how i feel about this this franchise at the moment is one long burp uh because it you know there's i think you said it correctly yesterday marty in our group message you feel so much worse about the direction than you did when the season began it's okay you know maybe not but it you can live with losing 100 games even potentially two seasons in a row that's not ideal obviously but that's okay if it means that the season after, two seasons, three seasons after, you're in contention. Your guys are up. You're competing. Uh, you know, you can make those sacrifices in a 2022 when you're going to lose 100 games. If it means winning 90, potentially even 100, uh, you know, in the future. And it just doesn't feel like that's the route that this organization is on at the moment. You know, at least compared to that feeling that we had coming into the season with just the amount of prospects that have been loaded up into this system um, you know, where has been Charrington gone wrong, I guess, if he has, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of time for this to shake out in the other direction, but where would you guys say, where did things begin to go wrong? I guess for Ben Charrington. One thing I want to add real quick about the losing too that people need to keep in mind starting next year, we have a draft lottery. So the old days of tanking for a guaranteed top one or two pick, that's not a thing anymore. So uh, to me, that that adds to the frustration where it was like, you know, in the COVID-shortened season, when you got about 10 games in and things started going off the rails, whatever, it's a 60-game season, punt on and get the number one pick. But you, you can't say that anymore with the draft lottery. You don't know where you're going to pick. And, it, that, and that's part of the reason why baseball did that, was to take away some of the incentive these teams have to tank. So that is something I think – I don't know how many people realize that because that's something else I've seen a lot on Twitter lately of, well, at least they'll get the number one pick. Oh, they'll get top two pick. No, that's not a guarantee anymore. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, they could also just add a better revenue-sharing system into the league and just not mess with the draft at all. That's what – I mean, I know I'm going off sideways a little bit here, but – that it's super frustrating how, you know, in the last 10 years, essentially, we have seen the draft overhaul, like the process of the draft changed a lot twice. Like we get the bonus system added in, we get the lottery system. And unfortunately, like 
teams like the Pirates and other smaller market teams and teams who, yes, tank for the first pick are going to are now, like you said, they're not. It's just one less avenue for small market teams to continue to get elite talent rather than having to, you know, purchase it. Anyhow, uh, and that's, you know, kind of going back to Charrington, I, I do wonder, like, that first season, you know, and I think we do need to take a step back and realize, like, we don't know exactly what was going on behind the scenes in the Pittsburgh Pirates front office in March of 2020. You know what I mean? And like, that was very, like he had been here for what, five months, four months, like just like a crucial time for stuff like, you know, obviously out of his control to go haywire. So I'm not necessarily making an excuse for him in terms of that, but I mean, it definitely like right off the bat, like, you know, he's getting off on a, on the wrong foot. And I think you could see that, like you said, that first season was a disaster. Um, and you know, that's kind of when it became, okay, maybe, maybe this is a rebuild. He, he took the Neil Huntington approach to the rebuild, you know, and I hated Huntington's approach to rebuild. It ended up working out, but he actually changed his, his approach later in his GM tenure to kind of, you know, help with that. So like it, it's the whole prospect quantity over quality approach and it, it looks good and it sounds good in an idea, but it, as we saw with Huntington with the Garrett Cole trade, like it doesn't work that much. Jason Bay, we got like six guys for him and like literally none of them, I, I, like Andy LaRoche, was like barely hanging on the roster as like, and Brandon Moss ended up having success elsewhere and like, but still was not like, it just, you get my point. Um, you know, the Jack Wilson trade with Seattle and Snell trade, they got a bunch of, bunch of prospects back. None of them ever amounted to anything. And, you know, like Marty's been saying, that's kind of what we're seeing here. You know, you go to the Joe Musgrove trade, and Omar Cruz isn't even in the rotation, I believe, in Double A. Um, and Hudson Head, you know, people are excited that he's hitting to two thirty over the last month. Like that's he was supposed to be the like the key prospect in the trade, the big the big name prospect in the trade, and he literally has never done anything um, close to what you know we would expect. You go to Jamison Tyon trade. I mean, yes, you get Ronzi Contreras coming out of that deal, and obviously he has you know a lot of potential. But outside of him, you know, we're we're hoping Miguel Yahure has been a disaster. I mean, the guy has not been able to stay on the mound, and when he has been on the mound, he you can tell he is not the pitcher he was um, a few years ago, and. Then you have, um, you know, Kanan Smith and Jigba, who unfortunately got hurt. And, you know, but even with that, his his projectable upside is maybe a fourth outfielder. Like, just no, no, um, you know, Nolve Martes, like we saw in the Luis Castillo trade for the Reds. You know, you we... For whatever reason, the Pittsburgh Pirates are not ever able to land you know, that sexy prospect name in deals. And a lot of times it's because of the quantity or quality approach. I was going to say in the tie on trade, don't forget Mikel Scotta, who was so terrible this year. He was sent down to the complex league for like a month and uh, has to, had to completely start over at low a. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's so frustrating. I mean, you mentioned head, you know, at this point, Hudson has pretty much a non-prospect. Um, it is what it is. The, the guy just back-to-back years of a strikeout rate over 32%, not hitting for power. He's a non-prospect at this point. Miguel Ure probably taking off the 40-man roster this offseason. You look at the Jacob Stallings trade. Connor Scott has not been good at double-A. Zach Thompson, again, probably going to be taking off the 40-man roster this offseason. You better hope Kyle Nicholas pans out. So it's just 
the one thing that seems to have plagued Charrington the most, the 2020 draft, I will give him a bit of an asterisk because it was impossible to scout for that draft because of COVID. His last two drafts on paper, especially that 2021 draft, have been pretty good. This year's draft as a whole was not as good. We got maybe the best player in the draft in Tamar Johnson. But his trades have just, especially when he tries to bring in these younger prospects, these younger potential higher-end prospects, they have not worked out. If you look at the best players he's traded for, it was David Bednar who would already been in the majors. It was Ronzi Contreras who was already in the upper minors. You know, it's it's been guys who already were in the majors or were on the cusp of it. So rather it's poor. And real quick, Marty, I'm just yeah. going to say, I'm hoping like I mentioned about Huntington, how his philosophy changed a little yes. bit. Like, you know, maybe, maybe that's a little bit of what we saw, you know, this year out of Charrington trading for players in the upper minors who, yes. yeah. you know. Even drafting a guy like Termar, I think shows a little bit of that change. Yeah, because, I mean, rather it's your scouts doing a poor job of identifying talent, rather it's your farm system failing to develop young talent, which both of those is a major problem that need addressed. Um, Whatever it is, them acquiring these young prospects has just not worked out in trades. Um, And and that's something to me I think you need to address this offseason. You know, again, people go back to Huntington and say, well, Huntington was this and that for year three and four. Well, to Neil Huntington's credit, after the debacles of 2011 and 2012, which I get that as year four and five, but again, to me, Charrington's timeline needs to be a little more expedited than Huntington's because Charrington inherited a much better situation. Huntington made a lot of changes, not just in his philosophy. He made changes within the organization. He made overwhelming changes in the analytics department, which, as we've touched on before, Ben Charrington got here and had an analytics department. No, Huntington had to build all that from the ground when he got here because Dave Littlefield was stuck in 1987. But I, I do think that is something, too, that needs to be visited this offseason. I don't know if it starts with John Baker. I don't know what it is, but something needs to change. In my opinion, something needs to change about the overall direction, views, beliefs, whatever it is, of their player development system because it is not it does not appear to be working. I know people are going to say, well, they have a top 10 farm system. Yes, but that farm system is, it's trending in the wrong direction. And yes, you graduated Ronzi Contreras and O'Neill Cruz. I understand that. But with the way they've, how high they've drafted the last few years, with the amount of trades they've made to bring players in, your farm system should not be plummeting six, seven, eight spots because you graduated two guys. That should not be happening when you're in the position they're in. And even if you look at the players as a whole, both production-wise and prospect rating-wise, a guy like Lavaro Paguero is trending in the wrong direction. Nick Gonzalez, who he's hit better since coming off the injured list for much of the year, trending in the wrong direction. You mentioned how we mentioned Hudson Head. You got a guy like Mason Martin. They're they're not even prospects at this point. Miguel Uray can't get anybody out of AAA. Whatever they're doing is not working, and especially on the pitching front. Is to be honest. I mean, Anthony Salamedo and Bubba Chandler aside, because they're so young and so far away, outside of Quinn Priester and Mike Burrows, I, I don't know how you can say you're excited about any pitching prospect in this farm system. And who acquired Quinn Priester and Mike Burrows? It was not Ben Charrington. That's great points. And, uh, you know, Mike Burrows, one of these guys, too, that was not a huge prospect by any means. At, at first, he's obviously been outstanding here and has, has been very hot uh you know even more recently this week but um you're, you're exactly right guys I mean this has been a slow and and difficult thing to deal with because you know you want to build that hope when you are the Pirates when you are you know at the basement of your division and you know it, it's seemed like it's been a long time now and it seemed like Ben Sherrington has attempted to do the things right but um you know would would you guys say that this is a spot that the Pirates are almost limited to with the way that baseball is set up right now? You know, are they not able to trade for some of these more well-known prospects in a one-for-one, one-for-two type deal because, you know, they know maybe can't pay them in the future? Or, uh, you know, do you think that this was just Ben Charrington's strategy that hasn't worked out to this point? So first off, I do want to, you know, comment on Mike Burroughs what Marty was saying. And if you watch the um, TV show, they show after the pirate games, uh, Burroughs talking about the future game and like 
he's talking about how much how it shows how much hard work he put in. You know, and it's really paying off. And then I think back to when he was on the podcast, and that was right after, um, you know, he got back playing from COVID. And we asked him, okay, like, you know, and that's when he kind of started to really get on the radar of, you know, more of a prospect to be to watch, right? right because yeah, he was striking more people out. Like, and he talked about how he went to this facility and you know trained with their people there then you think about mitch keller this past off season showing videos of him going to this facility throwing 100 miles per hour and working on things um you know o'neill cruz had to fly in his own hitting coach the other night apparently what are we i mean like Murray said what are we doing like all the success is <laughs> is coming from outside of the organization and our own players are promoting that. Like, that's got to be telling. I will say, too, you mentioned O'Neill Cruz. I know people are going to say about the strikeouts and already this, that. I swear to God, if this front office and this coaching staff ruins that talent, I will lose my mind. He is as special of a talent as there is. You don't get players like O'Neill Cruz very often. If they cannot harness that i mean to me what's you mentioned like what are we doing here you're getting your best work from people outside the organization if you watch a pirates game john wayner will sit there and beat this horse till it's dead and he's not wrong john wayner's a guy who knows a thing or two about baseball o'neill cruz's approach at the plate is horrible i just don't understand where's the coaching where is it he goes up it reminds me so much of pedro alvarez early in his career he goes up there. He's not aggressive. You blink, it's 0-2. You throw a slider down and away, and it's over. And it's not just O'Neill Cruz. This entire lineup, they're not aggressive. And it's just it's it's mind-boggling to me. In baseball, I don't care if it's the major leagues or, or for God's sake, the kids I'm coaching in 12U. Nine times out of ten, the best pitch you're going to get in the bat is the first pitch because the pitcher wants to get ahead in the count. Go up there, be aggressive, and look to drive that pitch because it's probably going to be in the strike zone. So again, just what are we doing here? Where, where is the coaching? Where is the development? Where is any of this within the organization? Because I don't see any of it at all right now. And this is what I mean. It, it, nothing looks different to me as a, as a fan, as someone who's, you know, obviously studies the pirates, like nothing looks different from this organization. At last you're talking about how they're ruining O'Neill Cruz potentially. And it's like, how many times, like you said, we saw that with Pedro to an extent. We saw that with Polanco. We saw it with Austin Meadows. Austin Meadows literally confirmed that, like that, you know, he, the way they were using him in Pittsburgh, like he was happy to get out of there because he wasn't playing regularly. Like, and the Pirates turned him into a platoon player. And, you know, as we've been told before, you know, that might have been on purpose. And that's what I'm afraid is happening again. And we saw that with the manipulation of Cruz's contract this year. We saw that with the manipulation of, obviously, Contreras' contract as well. Like, you know, it comes to a point where these last two regimes are so ner- living in that fear of that small market and they got, they got to make sure they do everything right. And they're sacrificing development, legitimate development over it. And it's no coincidence that the last four prominent left-handed hitters that come up through this organization have not panned out. Like these guys were supposed to be difference makers, like 30 plus home runs, like, game changers for the Pirates lineup. And Pedro gave us a season of it. Polanco gave us like a half a season of it. Like what? It's frustrating. Yeah. You met Ronji Contreras and that to me might be the most frustrating one more than Cruz right now, because when he was sent to the minors, it, it did, well, we're watching his innings. He starts pitching a triple A. Well, we want him to work on things. No, it wasn't. It was all it was all service time manipulation. And the most frustrating damn part was his last start against the Red Sox when he came back up. You could see right away 
what do you need to work on? It was the same things that plagued him in that start against Tampa Bay back in June. And the and then you go down to AAA, and Alex Stump of DK and Pittsburgh Sports did a great job talking about this a few weeks ago in his site, where, yeah, he looks great at AAA mowing these guys down. He's getting nothing out of that. What he needed to work on with changing up his speeds of knowing when to throw the off speed, when to throw it for a strike, when not to throw it for a strike against major league hitters. Guess the only place you can work on that, the major leagues, not in the minors. And the thing is with Contreras that makes it even more frustrating is rightfully so he's going to be on a very limited pitch amount this year because of missing so much time last year due to injury and because of the COVID season in 2020. So him wasting those innings, pitching at AAA, where he was doing absolutely nothing for his development is frustrating. And you can see it in Contreras. You can see when he, he had that interview um, when he came back up, and I forget exactly how he worded it, but it was something along the lines of, well, the organization sometimes is going to do stuff you don't understand and frustrate you, and you just got to roll with it. Like, that that doesn't sound like this player sent you called. That's what I mean. That sounds like what Austin Meadows said. Yeah, it does. It sounds like Austin Meadows. It sounds like Tyler Glass now. You know, it's 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 infuriating. And to go back to the small market thing, do small market teams need to function differently? Unfortunately, absolutely. That said, look at the Tampa Bay Rays. Look at the Cleveland Guardians. Look at the Milwaukee Brewers. They're three of the model franchises in baseball, and their markets are Pittsburgh. Like, like it's just San Diego. Done. I mean, I know we talked about that last week and how their owners more financial. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details well off than nothing is but still like it's not that much of a difference i think cleveland's the perfect example because cleveland is known as having an owner who's not gung-ho about spending money but i cannot tell you i don't think there's ever been a point in my lifetime that franchise has had an extended period of more than three maybe four years of not being good between the world series runs in the 90s the runs in the early 2000s and ever since Tito Francona's got there, they've been one of the best franchises in baseball, and that's been 10 years already. Like, I think that's the perfect comparison because Cleveland and Pittsburgh are markets and cities that are so similar in so many ways. The ownership groups of the Guardians and of the Pirates are almost identical, and yet year in and year out, no matter what Cleveland does, no matter who they trade, no matter who they lose, here they are competing yet again. It's, it's interesting. I feel like you almost have to ask yourself, you know, do you sacrifice being awful if it means being outstanding, being great, being excellent? Uh, you know, when you look at certain franchises that have not climbed the hill and won that ring, but have been good. Uh, and, you know, I think I told myself, at least at the beginning of, um, you know, this stretch here that, hey, this is going to pay off in the end. The Pirates are going to be terrible for a while, but uh, they will get the guys up and they will start winning eventually. But like you guys said, this has not been anywhere close to a model of how to run a small market team. And that's that's why it's frustrating because, you know, you talk to other fans and you want to justify your organization by, well, you know, we're 28th and we're the most 28th valuable franchise. It's hard to win when you can't re-sign players and you can't do this and that. But, you know, you look at the organization and I think, uh, you know, we heard this with Ben Charrington, or excuse me, with Neil Huntington to an extent. And now Ben Charrington, the Pirates just have not been very player oriented. They have not hired the right guys to. Uh, help develop their players and put these guys in the right position to succeed. And ultimately, I don't think a lot of Pirates have felt extremely comfortable in Pittsburgh over the last half decade, maybe even plus. Um, you know, and the, I think the culture of this organization is unlike many. I mean, this is one of the oldest franchises. This is a team with five World Series rings. I mean, this is a, a truly cultured organization. You know, and right now there is zero culture uh, and obviously not a lot of winning either. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, you're probably um, 
thinking that it's the darkest of days, which it may be, but there is still hope. Where do Pirates fans need to find hope right now? Where, where do Pirates fans need to turn, get some kind of positivity? Or, you know, maybe if there isn't even any at this point, what does this organization need to do now to try to reset yet again or pick it up right now and, and change things, um, you know, from being like this? Well, before I go into any potential positivity, one thing we haven't really touched on yet, which is just. Yeah, please, more negative, as many negatives yeah. as you want, Marty. This is what it's about, please. The fact Derek Shelton has already been told he will be back next season. This I, Derek Shelton came here with with the the reputation, the pedigree as a hitting coach. Tell me one hitter, one hitter that Derek Shelton under his watch has truly improved or has truly developed. I, I can't think of a single one. I cannot think of a single one. You look at the team. You can think of some that Yeah. Like you look at Brian Reynolds. Well, Reynolds was doing this before, before, before Shelton showed up. Key Brian Hayes. The, as hard as that man hits the baseball, the fact he can't find more success at the plate, you have to put this on coaching to go back to O'Neill Cruz earlier. I'm watching him right now. He's in the box. He just took a middle, middle fastball for strike one. Be aggressive. Adjust your approach at the plate. Coach but you know that's what time. he's being told, too. Yeah, is, that's the thing. Hey, that's we want you taking is. pitches. Da, da, da. And it's like when he first came up and he was being just, hey, you know, go out there and play, like, welcome to the majors. I mean, that's when they're having success. It's, it's oh, the same script with every prospect. O'Neill Cruz just decided to swing at a pitch instead of taking it, and he launches it over Clemente Wall. Crazy how that happens when you have a hitter with that much raw power and you let them be aggressive at the plate. What's going to happen? It's it's so just mind-boggling, boggling, frustrating to me that you said we've watched hitter after hitter regress under his leadership. We've watched the team get worse year after year. We have a different hitting coach every year. So yeah. who is it then? Just like under Hurdle. And that's my thing. You can't. I don't want people to come in and tell me it's a hitting coach. The manager hires the hitting coach. That falls at the manager's feet. You know, it's no different than if the Steeler offense comes out this year and bombs. Yeah, you can blame Matt Canna, but ultimately Mike Tomlin's the guy who brought him back. Everything falls at the feet of that head coach. Everything falls at the feet of the manager because you make those decisions. You have a say in the game plan. You have a say in the approach that you play, no matter who your hitting coach is, especially when you came here with your your pedigree, your, your call to fame rising up as a coach, being as a hitting coach under Joe Madden. As a hitting coach, developing young players under yes. Joe Madden, like consistently, that's what he had to do, and that's what he has done, and that's that's why, you know. And this is where I think I was saying, like my my thoughts have changed about this front office the last two weeks. Like that's why I'm starting to really believe that it is just the front office, uh, you know, pulling the strings basically. Yeah, it very well may be. And, you know, that that is one area where, you know, as much as I have shit all over Derek Shelton for three years now, I will say he has been dealt a god-awful hand. And God bless him for being willing to take this on because this was his first managerial job in the major leagues and more than likely will be his last, or at least his last for quite a while. They've spent about $10 million in free agency the last three years. I don't know if I don't know if that's accurate, but that, it sounds that's pretty accurate. Your point, like they haven't, they have not done anything. Quintana <laughs> was the biggest free agent they've brought in, like and even Perez. They haven't even made the effort, not even to be good. They haven't even made the effort to have a major league competitive pitching staff. That's yeah. what's so just crazy is it's if you look at what they've done with this pitching staff the last two seasons they haven't even attempted to be competitive it's just they're just eating after another half the nights yeah it's like you know what nothing screams the future is bright like watching eric stout and johan ramirez and cam view go out there and just eat innings because man who who doesn't want to watch a guy who is and Stout, who's 30 years old and had two career innings, or Zach Thompson, who's 30 years old and a few years ago was pitching in the freaking independent league. Man, the, catch the fever. 
And you're supposed, yeah, right. The fans are supposed to be buying into this. Like, if we're questioning it, you know, come on. Yeah, I mean, and again, I know this is not an exact science, but you know, you ran that poll on Twitter recently, Nick. And you know, for those of us who don't have social media, don't follow us. We have almost sixteen thousand followers on Twitter. That's a lot of pirate fans. And what was it? Eighty-seven percent said that they no longer have confidence in where things are going with this front office. Like. I understand, obviously, that's not an exact science or something, but that, that's a pretty large chunk of Pirate fans who, you know, ha- have lost their confidence, lost their faith in where this thing's going. And by the way, we appreciate all you who have been sticking with us. You know, the site continues to grow and do great, and, you know, our podcast as well. So, you know, thanks for sticking with us through these dark times. Like, it's it's not easy on our end, and we know – you know, obviously, as for fans, it's not easy either. So, you know, hopefully uh, we do turn this around, but, you know, we'll yeah. see. Thank, yeah. it, is, it is nice to see a bunch of other sickos out there like us because um, the month of July was, I believe, the third best month in site history. And right now in August, we're on pace to pass them, maybe their best month ever. So as bad as the team is, for whatever reason, you people want to keep reading about them. So we appreciate it. <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing. We cannot thank you guys enough. Uh, the Pirates on the field, you know, they may be close to 30 uh, and, you know, 30 looking at the times in the season. But out of sights, you guys have helped us, uh, you know, be at the top in the elite class of teams. Maybe the Pirates will join us at some point. So thank you guys. And guys, follow us on Twitter as well, at Rumbunder, if you have not done so already. Um, but, you know, it's kind of funny to look back at, guys. Like, right when COVID started, you know, this front office got their first shot at taking things over. And, uh, you know, as we got into it a little bit, things didn't seem right. Maybe it was all figurative that, uh, you know, the pandemic was going on at the time. The Pirates are going to have a pandemic of their own. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been all bad. And I think looking back, there's, like like you said, Marty, that 21 draft, you feel extremely confident about. Um, but, you know, just to kind of rephrase it, stuff like that, you know, whatever Pirates fans, um, you know, can hold on to that's positive right now. What would that even be? Because like you said, you're pretty sick if you're a Pirates fan still. If you're one of those 16,000 along there with us, uh, you know, and many more, of course, uh, you know, you're a little bit demented. So what do Pirates fans need to look out for right now that can help them feel positive? And, you know, what's going to be that thing to turn this around? Um, you know, if there is ever going to be something that can, can, can bust this organization out of the pits of despair. One thing I will say is I do think, you know, you, you look at the, as poor as the pitching has been on a hold this year, we've seen a lot of good auto runs in Contreras. We've seen JT Brubaker, Mitch Keller, both take a big step forward. Um, if those three can continue into next season, take another step forward and you can then throw Quinn Priester and Mike Burrows into the mix next summer. And they do what's expected you, by, by this time next year, you could have a pretty decent, if not solid starting rotation, um, now, obviously, that's if everything goes right. That's if all those guys continue to progress. That's if everyone's healthy. Um, so there's a lot of ifs in there. But there is, you know, a, a not so crazy or not so outside of the box possibility that by this time next year, the Pirates could have a pretty solid starting five in the rotation. And obviously, a good starting rotation is is vital if you're going to have any chance whatsoever of being a winning baseball club. Yeah, I agree with you, Marty. It's there's still a lot of interesting pieces, you know. As much as um, it's been, that's but it's like what it's time for them to get here, you know. And that's where our frustration is, Um, you know. In terms of the prospect developments, it's not. um, It still seems rather slow compared to, you know what we had before too. And it's like guys like Quinn Priester, guys like let's get the town up here and, you know, hopefully next year, you know, especially we really start to see that, um, you know, we, there's a good vibe out there right now. We all think Priester is going to maybe get a, a start here in September, kind of like Contreras did last year. Um, I, I hope that's the case, you know, it'd be cool to see him and, you know, again, just kind of give us something to, you know, look forward to next year. But yeah, I mean, they just got to get more of these younger players up, you know, and that's as they, I think we're going to see more of that, you know, September, the rosters expand, not as much as they used to, but, 
you know, you typically see a lot of other moves made in September also in terms of maybe some players getting DFA'd a little early before the offseason, et cetera. So, you know, just look forward to, you know, more of these younger prospects who hopefully will be a part of a, you know, a better future. Yeah, you know, you mentioned being a little more aggressive with prospects. I mean, just just look at tonight's game. Michael Harris, the second, hitting a two-run home run for Atlanta. Already he's developed in one of the best young outfielders in the league. Didn't get a single at bat at AAA. It could be done. You know, just look at the Pirates. Jack Sawinski, yes, he's back at AAA now, but without ever playing a single game at AAA, came up here and was leading all National League rookies in home runs and had no PS Plus and a WRC Plus over 100. It, it can be done. You don't you don't need to follow that old school traditional development of oh you got to go from low A to high A. It, it doesn't need to be done. It, you can be aggressive with guys and they can find success. So like you said, there, there definitely seems to be some good vibes. We could see Priester in September. Would really like to see Mike Burrows in September as well. Um, yeah, but just most importantly, you know, I had an article out on the site about this today. The Josh Van Meters, the Kevin Pavlos, the Greg Allens. Man, let's just get rid of him. Get rid of him. Give me Travis Swagger to get Swinsky back up here. Give me G1 Big. Give me guys who might actually be part of the next competitive team in Pittsburgh, not guys who, you know, are going to be designated for assignment come November, if not sooner. And also, we have, again, like we saw last year, which, you know, we have a 40-man roster crunch again coming. You know, you mentioned a guy like Bay, like who is on the 40-man roster and will be Rule 5 eligible, but has yet to make his big league debut. Like, but he's an interesting prospect. He's had a good year. He's been rated as a top 15, top 20, top 10, close to top 10 prospect, you know, 10 to 20 in that range his whole career, essentially. Like, so, yeah, get him up here. Let's see if he's part of his future. Josh Van Meter is not. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned the 40-man roster crunch, and Bay's included in this. If you look at who's Rule 5 draft eligible, man, there's probably at least eight guys that, to me, are slam dunks to get put on this 40-man roster and be protected. So there's going to be a lot of movement coming. Ben Gamble is your, I believe – Unless I'm wrong, Ben Gamble's the only player currently on the 40-man roster who's going to be a free agent. So you're going to have to make space in other ways. So, yeah, just why not start, you know, Bay is one who probably you're going to want to protect. Uh, Malcolm Nunez is another one you're going to want to protect. Why not get him on the 40-man roster now and get him some at-bats in September? It's not going to hurt anything. It's like, why are we kidding ourselves at this point? You know, the, the roster, the, the lineup every day is already not competitive. It's already not up to a major league caliber. Why are you not giving more prospects their opportunity? Um, you know, and I get it. You got to sell tickets. You have to sell jerseys to sell whatever. You have to have a couple guys for the social media posts. But at this point, you know, this is a team that is in full rebuild mode. And, um, you know, I think it's a scary thing to say that we don't really know exactly where the rebuild is going anymore. Um, hopefully, a lot changes. And I guess to close it out tonight, guys, um, you know, when do the Pirates need to move on from this front office if it doesn't turn around? When has Ben Charrington, you know, not done enough to to get this team back to success? Uh, you know, I guess ultimately, how long do you go before you have to completely reset again? As far as I'm concerned, we're there. Um, you know, when this front office came in, the big word, you know, coming out was, hey, 2023 is what we're aiming for to start being competitive. Well, 2023 is looking worse than 2022 and so on. So I don't see it that way. So as far as I'm concerned, we're there. It's, you know, we need to start seeing a difference next year. You know, this offseason, they need to spend some money. And I know that that comes from Bob Nutting and uh, Travis Williams, who – you know, no one has heard from him in quite a long time. Um, the team president, he hasn't made a public appearance in months. So, you know, which again, I hope everything's okay with him. But at the same time, the transparency of this front office has gone away over the last year or so. And 
that was something that we liked at first when they came in, they were honest they, about that. They were going to, you know, trade pieces away, but it was going to take a little bit of time. They weren't going to rush it. Like, right. They, they explained it to us and they, they allowed fans to understand what they wanted to do and buy into it a little bit. Now, all of a sudden it just, we're back to square one. And like I said, it's, feeling very end of Neil Huntington like to me, like it's just nothing is going right in terms of for this organization. Yeah. um, It's hard to disagree with any of that. You know, if if next year is a repeat where things are not better on the major league level, I mean, I think next year you don't just need to see, players improving you you got to see an improvement win loss you cannot have a third you cannot have a third straight 100 loss season especially when you're already in year four of this thing um and then you know if you go back to 2020 and you expand that out over a full 162 game season that would have been a 100 loss season too like this at some point the bleeding the losing has to stop and like you said nick i think you've got to spend money this offseason Obviously, that's not just Ben Charrington, but, and this is one thing I've always said about Bob Nutting, have your gripes of him as an owner. I certainly have my own. Is he a good owner? No. That said, when Neil Huntington went to him with a plan to want to spend money, he let him spend money. You know, in 2013, they added. In 2014, they added. In 15, they added. 2016, though they slipped off, they had the largest payroll in team history. He'll he'll spend the money if he thinks it's it's a good plan, and you know like you look at next year, like you've got to stop this bleeding. You've got you've got to start trying at least making it seem like you're trying to win baseball games at some point. And I think a big step to that is go out and add some pitching this offseason. Add one or two starters. This bullpen's a freaking train wreck. Do something about it. And you know it's what we also know with Neil Huntington is that some of his potential moves weren't even getting to Bob Nutting. You know, the team president was making that decision. So again, we're not by no means that's on Bob Nutting too, right? Like be more involved then. Like, you know, if that, and he kind of admitted that, that, you know, he, there was stuff going on that he didn't realize basically. But at the end of the day, um, this team's payroll has been among the lowest in baseball for the last, you know, since they've come into this organization. Um, you know, there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is to spend right when it's time, like Marty said, and they did that in 20 started in 2012 into 2013, 14. Um, you know, so hopefully we see that. Hopefully we see, you know, a significant move or two to actually, you know, add talent to this roster. Yeah, I mean, it's something has to happen. You know, at this point, it's crazy to think it's August 22nd, 2022. We started this podcast on, I can't remember the exact date. It was late April, early May of 2020. And, you know, at that point, I think the first title we put on the bottom was in Ben We Trust, because there's that level of trust as a fan that, you know, with a small market team and with, a guy like Ben Sherrington that's coming in and, you know, telling you everything you want to hear that it's going to work out. But on August 22nd, 2022, we needed to be having a podcast about how excited we are for these prospects to be here and about how excited we are to turn the page next season. And that's just not the case, guys. We are nowhere close at this point. Um, You know, I think Marty made a really good point earlier. You cannot have your farm system plummeting at this rate. I know, you know, that's what it is. These are writers that are determining these lists and whatnot, but, you know, what they say matters. And ultimately, you cannot have your organization drop off drop off the face of the earth when they need to be, you know, still in that top three, that top one even on these sites as far as the farm system goes with, about, with as bad as things have been. Um, and they're just not there. Yeah. I mean, you rarely see small market teams who do it right fall out of that top six. I mean, every once in a while, Tampa Bay will – move out of there, but they typically jump right back in uh, because they always have a plan to bring in more talent. Tampa Bay every year seems like they have the most picks in the draft, you know, 
and they're selecting a lot of talent, being creative with that. And, you know, we saw that at Charrington. But my point is, you know, like Marty said, we graduated two two prospects and we, we dropped almost out of the top 10 in baseball. Like we, we need to stay towards the top um, in order for this the true plan of any GM that's going to come in here probably um, to take place. And that's to develop major league baseball players, get what you can out of them and keep the cycle going. But it's not happening right now. It's not, I mean, it's not, you know, at all, even compared to just a few years ago, even a year ago, you know, you feel so much different about the way it's trending in that department, especially, um, you know, when you, you look at some of these other teams that had to rebuild and have now gotten back to that level of success, they had the guys come up and you still were hearing about their prospects that were on the way. You know, Atlanta, I think, is a prime example. And I know it's a different situation monetarily and they have maybe the greatest general manager that has ever lived. But, you know, you saw as the Albies come up and you were still hearing about a Ronald Acuna and, you know, you were still hearing about these guys and you still are with that organization. They just won the World Series. The Pirates obviously uh, did not win the World Series last year. And, um, you know, it's only going in the wrong direction. So, uh, you know, this has been a, a doomsday style type of podcast. But I think that's necessary for where this organization is at at the moment. Um, you know, you're looking at a team that is on their way to another 100 loss season. And that's just not OK after the rebuild to be that is now, I'll say it flopped on its face to an extent. Uh, but there's still hope, guys. And there's always going to be hope at rumbunder.com. So please go there and check out our articles covering the rest of this season, covering the minor leagues as well. And guys, be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Rumbunter. Big shout out to Nick for getting that poll out there so uh, we could hear how you guys felt about it. And we appreciate you guys jumping in on that and, and keeping up with us on social media as well. But until next week, guys, hopefully uh, we're talking about something a little bit more fun. And the Pirates have just swept the Braves by that point. And, um, you know, we're rolling in the right direction. Until then, though, for Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Yandy. This has been Rum Buncher Radio. Have a great week, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.